What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling. With four angel babies myself and two rainbow babies here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. And before we begin, huge shout out to the Radis fam on the internet the lamb fam for supporting the sponsors who support our show so we can continue to provide this weekly for free so i know what we talk a lot about advocating for ourselves on this podcast so i just wanted to share that one way i was able to simply do so was just by switching my prenatal from a folic acid based prenatal to a folate prenatal which helps if you have MTHFR gene mutation. I have no idea if I had that as my doctor was not willing to test me for it, unfortunately, which I have heard from a lot of you guys that that is a commonality. I don't know why, but it is a simple step that we can take on our own. So one that I highly recommend is Fairhaven Health's prenatal, and I will go ahead and link it. It's called the Peapod Prenatal. It is super affordable. It's linked in the description of this episode. And if you use the code LAM, L-A-M, it should give you 10% off. Um, And just a big thank you for everyone who does use the link as it does help support the Life After Miscarriage show. So let's get into today's episode. Hello, everyone. We have Kayla Bond on today's episode all the way from Australia. It is one o'clock in the morning for her. I can't believe she's doing this, but I am so happy that she is. (laughs) I'm just going to toss it at you. Start wherever you'd like. Cool. Um, Yes. So I guess I um, found your podcast about or just over 12 months ago. um, And it was out of like, I guess, really seeking some stories and some reassurance following um my experience with miscarriage and um that's what sort of led me here today to tell sort of my story and share my experience with um listeners as well because I found such um comfort in other people's stories and um it really helped me I guess in my healing and just feeling like through every step of the way um I wasn't alone so my story, I guess, is one about the, the initial miscarriage I had last year in August, September, um, and then also about my pregnancy to have my rainbow baby this year in September, um, and that all occurred, well, my pregnancy this year occurred during, um, obviously, the COVID pandemic, and I imagine for Australian listeners and that they'd be very aware that the city I come from Melbourne we actually experienced one of the longest and harshest lockdowns um, of anywhere this year um, so we spent over July to end of September start of October it was like 120 something days in serious lockdown so you could only leave the house to go to the shop go to medical appointments you couldn't go more than five kilometers from your home unless it was for like medical appointments or for work and you had a permit to go to your job um so yeah so it's been quite an intense year and I I just with everything that's happening around the world at the moment with other women who are pregnant experiencing miscarriage um or stillbirth and loss um and still in that position of pandemic um and that lockdown I hope that maybe some of the things that I did to help get myself through will provide them with some guidance or some comfort 
along the way. Um, so I met my partner, Ben, actually when I was in kindy. <laughs> so we've known each other for like 26 years now. Um, and we lived in a, a city called Adelaide, which is in South Australia, the state next to Victoria where Melbourne is. Um, we reconnected sort of, went to our primary school together and then reconnected over Facebook as adults in about 2004, good old, 2014, sorry, so good old Facebook, bringing people together. Um, dated long distance for a while and then I moved to Melbourne um, in 2015 and then in about 2018 we decided we wanted to move forward to like getting a house together. We got engaged in August of that year and then um, bought a house in February 2019 um, and we'd always had really open discussions about what we sort of wanted for our lives and I've made it really clear that I really wanted to look at starting a family um, around the time I was in my sort of late 20s early 30s because I also have type 1 diabetes um, so that's the one you get in childhood and requires like insulin injections every day um, and it's known to uh, result in quite a few complications in, in pregnancy and in later life. So it's better to try and, I guess, have a, a pregnancy whilst you're a little bit younger than waiting too long. Um, so in the, the, our sort of journey through that was in February 2019, I sort of decided I'd got off the pill. I'd been on the pill since I was like about 15, I think, because um, I'd always had painful periods um, and I just thought all right I'll give my, my body some time to kind of get ready and prepare for pregnancy without having those hormones in me um, and then we bought the house moved in in like April and then around sort of June decided not like it wasn't like a serious like oh my god we're gonna start trying right now it was kind of like a well you know we'll see what happens and hopefully it ends in a pregnancy <laughs> as you do um so I was sort of tracking my cycles on an app on my phone as I think a lot of women do when they're trying to conceive um and I had slightly longer cycles so I was a little bit unsure of when exactly I was ovulating so um that first month I thought I'll try and use those ovulation sticks just to get an idea of about when it would happen um and kind of got a bit of a clear indication of when I was ovulating and um, thought, well, we'll give it a go this month and maybe it will happen. And I think like a lot of people we're taught so often, particularly in high school and that, that getting pregnant is so easy and that you should be so careful and, you know, you have sex once and you get pregnant. Um, but I know for a lot of a lot of people that's really not the case. And so I sort of went into it with a mindset of, oh, this might take us a while. Um, we were sort of just sort of hoping that it wouldn't take too long, but you never know. Um, so it got to sort of mid-July and I, um, I had started to get a little bit of cramping and some spotting and I thought, oh, okay, well, here comes my period. Um, so this is from trying in early July, late June, early July. And I had um, quite sore boobs and I was like, yep, period's coming. Didn't get pregnant this month. Oh, well, what can you do? Um, and so a few days later, my period still hadn't properly come, but I still had this spotting. And my friend who's got four kids of her own was like, 
I think you need to do a pregnancy test, buddy. It could be <laughs> implementation bleeding, which at the time I hadn't heard of. So I was kind of like, oh, okay, like, I guess I'll just rule it out. Um, so, yeah, one night after work, just peed on the stick and there it was um, straight away. I was pregnant and we were so excited, um, like, just kind of shocked that it had happened so quickly. Um so I went to the doctor maybe like a week or a few days later to get a blood test just to confirm that um, I was definitely pregnant and how, how far along exactly I was. And um, I think at that time I was still a little bit unsure of how the dating stuff worked. Like in, in my brain I was like, well, I ovulated around then so I must be X weeks pregnant from the date of ovulation, whereas obviously all the dating stuff, they start it from your last period. Um, so when I went to the doctors, it came back that I was not as far along as the doctor thought I should or assumed I would be based on my period dates, but based on like when I sort of thought I'd ovulated and that I was like, well, that's how pregnant I should be. So, um, yeah, she sent me for a scan um, just to sort of do a dating scan to work out how far along I was. Um so we went to that scan. We did tell like our parents and our siblings that we were pregnant and they were super excited because it was the first grandchild on both sides of the family. Went along to that first scan, did the scan and it was coming up that I was about five and a bit weeks pregnant and I they did they were able to detect quite a strong heartbeat at the time. So we were like ecstatic that it all seemed to be going the way that we were hoping um and the doctor seemed okay with with how that scan went um and then proceeded to say okay well we'll still do a scan at about eight weeks just to double check how everything's going and check for viability before um I was referred on to um the hospital here in Melbourne to continue with my pregnancy care so um I went through the public system here in in Victoria, so the public hospital where everything's covered by the government, so we don't pay out of pocket for an obstetrician or for any of the care that we receive. Um, I think I paid for maybe one test the whole time, like a genetic screening test in my second pregnancy. Um, and for all the parking, because it's never cheap to park in the Melbourne CBD. But other than that, like it's it's all covered, which I think is quite different to um a few other countries systems of healthcare. um so yeah I we were really excited went back to Adelaide where we're both from to see um our families and like share with my grandparents and um a couple of other close family members that we were expecting a baby in April of 2020 and then went along for the eight-week scan about a week later and I had had a little bit of spotting which was also the reason why after that implementation bleeding the doctor was like yep yeah, let's do another scan at um eight weeks and make sure that things are still going well and just to check out that spotting but she reassured me you know it happens it's very common um and you know, not to be worried about it but I did notice like when I went to the bathroom um, and if I was bearing down or anything I was getting a little bit more um, and I was very aware of miscarriage as I had a few friends that have had miscarriages and so it did sort of 
spark a few alarm bells for me. And I did feel for the, that my, that pregnancy, I was quite anxious for a lot of it. Like I just had this kind of like a sense of foreboding is a bit dramatic, but like a bit of like a sense that something was a bit off. And um, yeah, so when we went to this eight week scan, um, I remember I had the same ultrasound tech as the, the first one. And so she was doing the scan and she's like sort of chatting away for a little bit. And then she went a bit quiet and I'm looking up at the TV screen that's like above, sort of in front of you, above your head. Um, and I just remember my brain going, why is everything so still? Like last time I was here, I could see it flickering. I could see that little heartbeat moving and it's just, it was so still. And then I look over in the corner because in the corner as she's doing the measurements, it shows like the number of weeks you should be. And it was coming up at like six weeks and a few days. And I just thought to myself, no, I should be eight weeks in a few days. Like, what? why is it saying six weeks? What's going on? And as I'm sort of having this internal, like, dialogue where I'm sort of trying to rationalise what's happening, the ultrasound tech had gone really quiet and she just turned to me and she just said, Kayla, I'm so sorry, um, but it looks like baby stopped growing at about six weeks and three days and I can't find a heartbeat anymore. And... I just remember saying like, okay, I understand. And in that moment, everything kind of connected together. And I thought I've had the miscarriage. And she said, you've had a missed miscarriage because for a sec, I was just like, but I wasn't bleeding that much. Like what, what, what was sort of happening? Cause I hadn't had much exposure to missed miscarriages. I'd, I'd never heard it be called a missed miscarriage. So when she said that all, it took a moment to sort of sink in and she said, you, you'll need to go to the doctor um, and they'll need to either give you some medication to induce the, the miscarriage um, or you'll um, need to have a procedure to um, remove the products of conception as they commonly refer to it in the medical community. Um, so, yeah, I remember like leaving the ultrasound clinic, obviously like in tears with, with my partner Ben and just walking out of the clinic into the car and we got in the car and I was just so in shock and he said to me, he's like, you know, are you okay? And the first thing I said to him was, I'm sorry. And he was like, what do you, what do you mean you're sorry? And I was like, I'm sorry. And my heart just sunk because I felt like in that moment I'd, I'd let him down because it was my job to carry our baby and I'd let him down by not being able to do that. Um, so I, I remember that really like sitting heavy with me in that moment that I really let him down. Um, we called our parents in the car on the way home to like tell them what had happened. Um, and when I got home, called the doctor's office to get an appointment and then I had to call my boss and he didn't know I was pregnant and be like, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant and but I'm not pregnant anymore. And um, he was just so lovely about it, just told me to take as much time as I needed and um, went off to the doctors, got referred to the um, Royal Women's Hospital here in Melbourne and went in there to have um, a, an appointment there to work out, like, because the GPs and that here can't 
just give you medication for it or refer you for surgery, you have to go through the early pregnancy clinic at the hospital to um, meet with them and they repeat scans and everything can confirm that you have miscarried. Um, so, yeah, then we went into the hospital, met with a doctor. So this is on a Thursday. and. Um, I remember we sat down in her office and she was like, you know, what's going on? And we told her that, this, we, that why we have been referred and gave her the letter from the doctor and the scan results. And she was like, oh, we will have to repeat the scan. You'll have to come in for an appointment through the clinic. Um, and the soonest appointment I can get you is Monday. And so this is Thursday at like 11 a.m. And I wasn't going to see anybody to discuss what the next steps were until the Monday and I just was so baffled that I was going to have to spend the next four days still carrying around this little baby this this pregnancy and knowing that it was no longer viable that my my pregnancy had ended my my little baby was dead and I was gonna have to carry that around inside me for the next four days and I just think like that's leaving women in that position is just quite brutal um but she's, she explains to me she can't get me an appointment until Monday and I'm still obviously quite upset because I'm still in shock. One, that I've miscarried. Two, that I've now got to wait till Monday to essentially um, kind of deal with what what's happened and to take that final step in the process of, of um, yeah, I don't even know what you would call it, like the, the final phase of the miscarriage, I guess. Um, and then she said to me as I was sort of tearing up, she goes, oh, I know it's sad, but, you know, you should be happy. It happened early. At least it happened early. And I was so mortified that her comment was that I should be happy. It happened early. I just remember, like, not being able to say anything. And then she said um, something about, oh, do something nice today, like, you know, and, and like, like implying that we should do something to take our minds off of it or, um, yeah, so I left that appointment just quite shocked at, like, I, it wasn't like she was being intentionally insensitive. It was like she just didn't know what to say and that my distress and my grief in that moment made her uncomfortable. Um, so she tried to sort of, like, stop it or, like, I'll try and fix the situation by... Um, trying to make make it sound like it wasn't as bad as it could have been but in that moment you know she's minimized my grief and how I was feeling about everything um so yeah we went home and I just I just spent that night just feeling like really down and um just not really knowing how to process everything um I was really fortunate that I had a couple of really close friends who knew I was pregnant come over over that weekend like one just came over for an afternoon and we just sat around and had coffee and she talked about her experience with miscarriage um because she'd had a miscarriage in between having her babies and then um my other friend was pregnant at the time she was due in January and I remember when we told her and her husband that we'd miscarried um the first thing I said to her was please don't exclude me from your journey and having your baby like we're still so excited for you guys and we want to be involved in it so she took me out shopping with her on the Saturday which was just so nice like not just be sitting around the house and 
constantly thinking about the fact that I was still technically pregnant, but my my pregnancy wasn't going to continue and that my baby was gone. Um, so yeah, the Monday rolled around and I did some research over the weekend as well about my options, about what it meant to have the DNC, about what it would mean to have the medication to induce the miscarriage and which one would be better for me and ultimately had decided ahead of time that um, I would do the medication as I felt it was the least, it was less invasive than the surgery. I hadn't had any babies before and um, it would have been obviously interfering with my cervix and I wanted to be able to not do that at that point. I just thought it was less risky to take the medication in my head. That's how I justified it. Um, so yeah, I went to my appointment Monday, spoke to a really lovely doctor there, much better experience than my first time, um, who gave me the medication to um, induce the miscarriage um, and said to me as he was leaving the appointment, he said, well, I hope if we do see you again, it's up on level three in labour and delivery and that if you do decide to have another pregnancy, it doesn't end the way that this one has, which was really reassuring because obviously he would see quite a few women who've experienced pregnancy loss and, um, you know, would then come back to him with <laughs> with their next pregnancy or, and have a, a healthy baby. Um, so, yeah, this is about 11 o'clock on the Monday when I got home and took the first dose of medication um, and then obviously let it dissolve. We use the oral mitopristol here. I don't think I know that some women have had the vaginal mitopristol or the medication that they use to um, induce the miscarriage. Um, and so I took one dose at about 11 and then I took another dose a bit later in the afternoon. Um, and I had a little bit of cramping, no bleeding or anything. Uh, and nothing really happened until about 9, 8.30, o'clock that night. I started to get more cramping um, and the pain was quite intense. They did give me some pain relief, which was nice of them. <laughs> um, and then I just remember getting like a massive wave, like a big wave of cramping and going, oh my gosh, something's happening. And I'd been to the toilet a couple of times and had a bit of bleeding previously. Um, and I'm so glad that I spoke to um, a really close friend of mine about her experience with Mitopristol. And she kind of gave me a bit of a heads up as to what to expect because I remember getting these massive cramps, going to the bathroom, sitting on the toilet and being like, um, just sort of bracing myself and then feeling my body just release what was still in my uterus, which was the, the sac and um, the, the baby and everything in one. And it, it literally, like she had said to me, it will feel like you've laid an egg. She's like, there's no other way to describe it. And it did. It took the air out of me. I remember like just being so more like shocked at how um, intense that feeling was. Um, and then the bit that they don't, no one seems to talk about is then when, when that happens and you're, you're sitting there in the toilet and you realise that you've just lost your baby and it's literally sitting at the bottom of the toilet. Like, what do you do? I, I remember just sitting there going, I have, I just have to press the, the flush button, don't I? I just 
I just flushed that away. And that was like probably the hardest bit that I wasn't expecting to have to grapple with in that moment was the fact that I was flushing away something that it wasn't just, you know, the products of conception that the hospital had warned, had told me about or it was my first baby. It was that journey of the start of my journey into to motherhood and as a parent and Ben's experience of becoming a father and this whole bundle of emotions and all these hopes and dreams we had for this child that we carried around for the last eight weeks. And I was just flushing that down the toilet. Like, yeah, I remember that was probably harder than the actual physical experience of miscarrying was that, that weight that I felt as I was making that decision. Um, And then I, that night I just had a, a really restless sleep and I was fortunate that I had the rest of the week off work and, um, could just deal with the fact that um, I had a bit of downtime to, I guess, kind of process everything that had happened and um, get through it all as best I could and sort of psych myself up really to go back to work and kind of carry on life as it was before my my pregnancy. And I think that's the thing is it's like m- moving on from, hey, I was pregnant I had this plan and my fu- my future kind of had this, a whole different trajectory to what I thought it would be. And then all of a sudden I was like back to square one or back to before. And I just had to kind of resume life as if that, that little, that little baby, that little life never happened um, to anybody else really other than those that knew and, and to myself and to Ben. Um, so that took, it took a bit to sort of wrap my head around like going back to my desk at work and sitting there and going, okay, well, that that plan for April's out the window and we just start again. Um, So after going through the clinic for the induction of the miscarriage, they do call you like the day after to check in and then they call you like a week or so later just to see how you're going. Um, And I was still bleeding a bit and just remember speaking to the midwife when she called me to check how I was, how I was going and um, when I told her that I'd still had some blood loss and she was like, oh, it's been over a week now that really should be petering off. Maybe we'll do a follow-up appointment in another week's time just to check that it's all good and that there's nothing else going on there. So I was like, cool, yep, happy to come back in and have it checked out because my thoughts at the end of the day were I wanted to get pregnant again. I wanted to make sure everything was okay with like my uterus and that it was all good to go. Um, and then it was like a couple of days before my appointment and I was out shopping with Ben, um, cause we had a wedding to go to. I needed to find a dress to wear. Um, and as I was leaving a change room, I felt like a gush and I was like, oh my gosh, I think I've started bleeding again, like rushed off to the nearest bathroom. And I just had this weird, um, like watery discharge. And I was like, that's really odd. Like, um, to just come out of nowhere. Um, so, yeah, I remember being a bit nervous about that and making, like, mental note to say something when I got to the hospital the following day. So went in for that appointment. They did another scan. So at this point I'd had three. It's my third scan. 
um, because the hospital wouldn't accept the original scan I'd had that diagnosed the miscarriage. They did their own, um, which is tough enough because you've already had to have a scan where you've seen the you've seen the baby's not got a heartbeat and you've got to go sort of through that again before they'll let you um, have do anything about um, inducing the miscarriage. So I went back in, did another scan, and I just knew in, in my heart of hearts that something was still wrong and that there was probably what they referred to as retained product in my uterus. Did that scan, and there was. And so then they sat me down and said, look, we could try and repeat the mitocristol and induce a miscarriage again, or we could do surgery. So I opted to do surgery. I didn't want to go through the mitocristol experience again because the retained product I had had quite a, what I, they said I had a quite steady blood supply. So it was obviously still connected to the wall of my uterus. Um, and so that the mitocristol may not work if I did it again. <coughs> so they booked me in for a DNC the following day. And at this point I was just like, I just felt like it was really, it was dragging on. Like I wanted this to just be over to, to the, the miscarriage in itself to be over because the miscarriage was still happening um, just so I could start healing my body, um, processing how I felt about everything and getting myself in a position where I could make a decision about what I wanted to do, like whether we were ready to try again, whether I needed some time to just take care of myself and um, to sort of take a step back, but I couldn't do that because I was still in this miscarriage. <coughs> so I um, had this had the um, DNC the following day. Um, I remember I didn't feel too nervous. I think I was just numb to everything that was happening. And this was like mid September by now, so I my miscarriage was diagnosed on the 29th of August and this was the 17th of September so it'd been a couple of weeks um and yeah I had had the DNC got home um was still probably a bit groggy from this the surgery and was talking to Ben and we talked about maybe adopting a rescue greyhound um and I decided in that moment whilst um probably quite high on pain relief that that was the best time <laughs> to call the greyhound adoption program and schedule to come up and adopt one of their greyhounds. So um, that weekend we went up to their um, property in Victoria here in Australia and went and um, met a few, met a greyhound that they rescued. They rescued them from racing or they, they were racing greyhounds that um, breeders released to the program and they, um, train them to be suitable for homes um, and as pets um, so we met one of the dogs there and he was just so beautiful so um, we ended up bringing him home and that's how we ended up with our dog Kevin <laughs> and he was the best decision I made in that in that time I think was to just on a whim go and adopt this greyhound because he's just the most beautiful caring lovely dog and I think having him to come home to and just keep me company on days when Ben was at work and I was home um, was really like really comforting to me and helped in, in healing um, and in, in my grief as well. 
Um, yeah, I think from from then, so this is, yeah, September and then through October, I was still sort of waiting for my body to recover from the surgery and just sort of processing the, the grief that I was feeling. And I was just frustrated by the whole situation. And about a week or so after the surgery that I'd had, um, my skin started to break out in a big rash um, and I had to go to the doctors because I thought I'd had an allergic reaction to some antibiotics the hospital had given me, but I had a massive autoimmune reaction probably to the stress um, and to the different medications I'd been put on. Um, so I had a big outbreak of psoriasis and had to spend um, the next couple of months getting UV treatment to help treat my skin. Um, so it just kept, it was like every time I thought this miscarriage was over and I could start moving on, it came back up again. <laughs> and I, it, it was just constant reminder of what I'd been through, which was really difficult. Um, grief is, is, it's a funny beast. It just sort of sits under the surface really, doesn't it? And you just, it's just always there. Um, and at times just pops up. So every time I sort of felt like, okay, like I'm feeling good about it, you know, it came into Christmas and we'd sort of decided we'd start trying again by that point. Um, so November rolled around and I wasn't pregnant that month. And then right before Christmas, I wasn't pregnant again. And I think I was feeling okay about everything. And then January hit and I just hit this real slump where I just felt really down for a few days. and. I'd already had my period that month and then I had this really odd bleed. Just woke up in the morning and my pyjamas, the blood all through them and I was like, that's not normal, like I'm not due for my period. So then I started to panic that maybe there was something still wrong um, from the miscarriage and went back to the doctors and they booked me in for another scan. So this is mid-January at this point, January 2020. Um, they did another scan to check that I still didn't have something retained in my uterus. Um, and as they were doing the scan, same ultrasound tech as the one that <laughs> diagnosed my miscarriage. And she goes, oh, you see up here in your ovary, there's this follicles lighting up. And I was like, oh, yeah. She's like, it's about to release an egg. Um, so if you're wanting to get pregnant, she's like, probably get busy in the next few days. So we had a bit of a laugh about it. And went home, told Ben, and we were like, oh, guess we'll get on it and <laughs> try and get pregnant again. Um, and, yeah, it was towards the end of January. I was sitting at work and I was due for my period that week. I just remember coming over feeling so tired and being like, oh, my gosh, like I'm exhausted. And the last time I felt this exhausted, I was pregnant. So I went home from work that night and thought, I'll take a test. It's probably way too soon because my period wasn't due for like five or six days. Um, took a pregnancy test and it came back positive straight away and I just remember like the first time when I did this the first pregnancy I was so excited and this time like I was so happy obviously but I was also just so scared and I didn't want to get too excited because I didn't want to have to go through the pain of like getting excited building myself up for it and then realizing that it was all over um you know, grief is such a joy feast. It takes, it takes that, that there was, there's this beautiful like joy and excitement that comes with, the, with that first pregnancy that you really, particularly after a loss, you never get that back again. You can't recreate 
that innocent joy once you've had a miscarriage or a pregnancy loss or any of that it just it just doesn't it's not the same um so I was very like cautious about this pregnancy and um it took me a little bit longer to tell my my parents and Ben's parents and I was really nervous before the first scan. I remember the night before just going to bed being like, please let it have a heartbeat. Just let it have, let this baby have a heartbeat, um, which thankfully it did. <laughs> and um, I started to, so it was every point of having another ultrasound or another doctor's appointment was like a milestone for me in this pregnancy because it was one step closer to um, having a baby, a healthy baby, but it was also like such a roller coaster because the week before an ultrasound or an appointment, I would just have crippling anxiety. And then I'd have the appointment and for like a couple of days afterwards, I'd feel at peace and happy and content that everything was fine. And then the cycle would repeat because the next appointment would come up, the next ultrasound would come up. And because I had type one, di- I have type one diabetes, they monitor babies very closely in pregnancy. So I was having a lot of ultrasounds. I actually I probably had more than 10 over the whole pregnancy. I'd had a lot of growth scans towards the end. Um, so this is all over like the start of this year. And by March, I was 11 weeks pregnant. Um, it was just before my 30th birthday. And I'd taken a couple of days off work to just have a long weekend for my 30th. So I went home from work on Friday, the 13th of March. And I never went back because whilst I was having a couple of days off that following week, I got a call from my boss to be like, have you got your laptop and everything at home? We're moving to working from home. This COVID-19 thing is um, becoming more serious than we thought. And it's now the, the first sort of wave of lockdown in Australia was starting. Um, New Zealand was also in lockdown and I think uh, quite a few other places around the world. This is when Italy was really bad as well. There was a lot of deaths in Italy at the time. So I was about 11 weeks pregnant and I just went into like working from home. My Ben's an essential worker or his, his work's considered essential. So he was still going into work every day and I was just by myself in the house at my laptop every day, alone with my own thoughts and still in my first trimester of pregnancy. So... <laughs> Um, it was a lot to sort of take on board and um, kind of every day became a bit of a, a process of trying to sort of keep my anxiety under under a bit of control because it was so easy to just be sitting there working all day. I had no colleagues around to talk to or distract me. I can't walk to the office kitchen and grab a coffee with one of my colleagues and have a chat about something or do anything to take my mind off it. I was just sort of stuck there with my own thoughts and my own anxieties about this pregnancy. Um, and it was it was really like, I had to get into this mindset of just dealing with it day by day. So every day, getting through that day and then moving on to the next one. Because if I thought about how much longer I might be stuck at home, because at the time my work had talked about returning to work by July. Um, and there's just so much unknown about it. So I, I had to really break it down day by day. I ended up contacting like uh, one of the support networks here in Australia um, called SANS and just talking to somebody there about how best to cope with it. And she gave me this really great piece of advice where she said every day, just like make a little list of what's going well today. So today I'm still pregnant. Um, 
And today I'm however many weeks. Um, today the baby has like eyelids or whatever little bit of, bit of piece about the baby's development like sort of kept me focused on the end goal. Um, and just each day just looking at that list and being like, okay, I'm still pregnant today. I'm feeling good today. Um, when I finish work today, I'm going to spend like an hour watching a TV show that I like or taking the dog for a walk or just doing something for myself almost as a reward for getting through the day without completely losing my shit <laughs> with how I, with how I looked at it. Um, and then I, yeah, so it was, it ended up stretching out until, um, I was due to have my daughter. Um, so we didn't find out what we were having. We wanted to keep it a surprise and we also didn't announce our pregnancy on any social media until I was about 30 weeks pregnant. I finally sort of put a post up and was like, you know, getting really excited to meet this little bub. Um, because I was just, again, it just came down to that anxiety of not knowing what was going to happen. Um, and yeah, just not, not feeling ready to like share with those outside sort of my, my close circle, but my family and Ben's family and a lot of our friends and that are all back over the border in Adelaide and during the pandemic here in, in Australia, Melbourne had a massive, so we were in lockdown until about April, all of Australia. And then um, Melbourne went back into lockdown in July because we had a massive uh, surge in cases, particularly around the area that I live in. So I tried not to think about COVID and getting COVID while I was pregnant to add to the anxiety I already had. <laughs> but it was, it was a little bit nerve wracking to know that we were sort of in a real hot spot for it. So by July, we'd gone back into a massive lockdown. Face masks were mandatory anytime you left the house. You couldn't go more than five kilometres from your home. Only one person from your household could go to the shops. So because I was pregnant, Ben was the one going out to the shops because he was also going to work. Um, and so I barely left the house other than for hospital appointments um, for most of my pregnancy. The borders closed, so you couldn't move interstate at all like I know you guys recently well, America had Thanksgiving and there was a lot of people going into state to visit family and stuff like that like um I remember looking at that being like oh my goodness when we had uh, we had like an increase in COVID cases all that got locked down like we could not fly anywhere like planes were completely grounded you couldn't drive over borders without having to go into like two weeks quarantine and some states completely locked out Victoria like if you were a Victorian resident, you could not enter another state. It was just mental. So my whole family living in South Australia, Ben's family, we saw none of our family um, except Ben's dad for a couple of days in between the lockdowns while I was pregnant. And then by the time my daughter Greta was born, um, we were still in stage four lockdown. Ben was only allowed to come into the hospital when I was in active labour. So I went to all my appointments for most of my pregnancy by myself. Um, my water broke at my last appointment when I was 36 weeks and three days. Ben was at work down the road from the hospital. I had to wait until I was on the labour and delivery ward and they had confirmed I was in active labour before I could call him to come into the hospital. 
Um, and I had to wear a face mask and get a COVID test whilst <laughs> that was all happening. So it was, um, yeah, a really different experience I can imagine than what most um, births are like. I ended up having a cesarean section because Greta was measuring big for her gestation. My pelvis was small and she was quite stuck in my pelvis. And for the first six weeks of her life, we were still in heavy lockdown and we were allowed no visitors. So it was just me, my daughter Greta and Ben. And Ben went back to work after I was, after Greta was about three weeks old. Um, two weeks after I had her, I ended up back at the hospital with a uterine infection um, with heavy bleeding. Thankfully, they let me have Greta with me at the hospital, but Ben was only allowed to visit for a few hours a day. Um, and they also recommended that um, I take mitopristol again to treat the uterine infection and clear anything from my uterus, which was a bit confronting because obviously it brought up all the stuff about my miscarriage again. Um, taking that medication and knowing it didn't work when I had my miscarriage, I got nervous that I'd get more retained product and need further surgery. Um, so that's been sort of where we're at now. I'm now, you know, Greta's 12 weeks old. We finally, the borders are open here in Australia and our family's looking able to meet her. Um, and it's just been such a journey from that first time of, of sort of discussing, oh, hey, let's, let's start this journey of becoming parents. Um, let's try and get pregnant to where we are now, like all the ups and downs, the anxiety, I remember when I, after I had the miscarriage, I saw this post on Instagram and the quote was no risk, no magic. And I took a screenshot of it and saved it as my phone background. And so for the whole time in lockdown for my whole pregnancy, every time I opened my phone, it was no risk, no magic. Just to remind myself that no matter how scary this got, no matter how anxious I got, um, it was all worth it for the magic at the end, which ended up being Greta. So yeah, I think my first baby, um, little pickle, you know, that baby made me a mum. And I think it also changed me as a mum and as, as the mum I am to my daughter today. Like, I wouldn't be who I was if it hadn't been that experience. And I wouldn't be the mum I am to her without that experience. And it was only eight weeks that I grew that little baby, but it's really changed the course of my life. Like, it's, it's, also highlighted that indescribable connection that we we as women share when it comes to our experiences with fertility and with motherhood and for many of us that journey is like is really hard it's can be terrifying at times and it can be really painful and really sad but it can also be such a journey of growth and beauty and yeah I'm really glad that I I took the risk to get the magic I guess I've never heard that quote and I love it <laughs> Yeah, I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, I need that. I need to remind myself of that. Yeah, I love it because it's so simple too. It's like a simple yeah. quote that you can continuously like remind yourself of. Absolutely, so. yeah. It's a good it's one. Cute. I like it. Um, I always ask at the end of every episode, if you have one piece of advice for somebody in a similar situation, what would it be? Yeah. Um, so I... I racked my brain as to what I wanted to say about this one because I know you always ask it at the end. Um, and I think the biggest thing I can, I've sort of taken away from 
um, this whole experience of that moment when I got back in the car and I said to Ben that I was sorry because I thought that in miscarrying or in losing our baby, I had failed him as my partner. I'd failed as a, as a mum. I'd failed as a woman. And I think we teach women in society that their value is so intrinsically linked to their ability to carry and birth babies um, and that it's a failure being unable to get pregnant or complete a pregnancy or to have not to be able to have a vaginal birth or not to be able to breastfeed. And what we really need to do is, is teach women that you're more than enough as you are, that you're enough, you're good enough, you're strong enough, you're brave enough, and that you can face whatever life throws at you. Um, and that your worth isn't tied up in the way that you experience fertility, infertility, pregnancy, birth, motherhood. That it, it, That's not the be all and end all of who you are. So good. I don't think we've had that piece of advice yet on the <laughs> great piece of advice. I love it. Yeah, I think a lot of the time, you know, and even in quite a lot of the episodes, the the end game and even in my journey has been that I've ended up having my daughter and having that rainbow baby. Um, and I know that's what a, so many women are, are striving for in their journeys of, of, you know, fertility and pregnancy. And sometimes that's that's not always the outcome. And we, we just have to take that step back and, and just say that that doesn't devalue your experience or your worth that there's more to it than that. Absolutely. Now, if somebody wants to reach out to you, where could they do so? Um, I have an Instagram. It is on, on private, but if you message me, I'm absolutely more than happy to um, accept um, requests or respond to messages or have a discussion about experiences and just share that, that you know, that journey with people. Um, so my Instagram is Kabo. I think it's got a double underscore, but if you search Kayla Bond as well, it, it comes up too. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kayla, for doing this, especially at 1am now almost. <laughs> time. I just so appreciate it. And congratulations on no, thank you. baby. So amazing. You're, you're probably pretty used to no sleep anyways, so I guess. Yeah, it's becoming <laughs> the norm now. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Shelley, for, the, for this podcast, for sharing the stories and for giving us this platform. It's, it's, it's really amazing. Yes, we'll talk soon. Yeah, thank you so much. You have a good day. You too. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to share your life after miscarriage story, go to ShellyMentling.com, click on the Life After Miscarriage tab, and add yourself right to the recording schedule. And I can't wait to chat with you soon. This one. See